Hi, I'm Graham Mack, and welcome to the Pod 20, the countdown of the most popular podcasts in the world right now. My special guests this week are John, David, and Chris from Old Gits and Hits. Guys, the podcast is made up of the best bits of your weekly radio show. You have to cut out the music for copyright reasons. Do you mention in the podcast that it's really old gits and no hits? We could. Yes. <laughs> we could change the name of the show, couldn't we? We could call it old gits and, I don't know, any word rhyming with hits or... Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 The, the, the old gits and... Yes. 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 Exactly. Yes. Yes. Hits. Yeah. We also yes, we yes. Did, we did it Christmas, didn't we? We did the ogres. So we, we yes. did say though the program could be called the ogres. So we had we had an awards ceremony that we did at Christmas. Um yeah. which we we recorded at the Royal Albert Hall. They let us in there to um, record it. Wow. Yeah. In front yeah. of an audience? Yeah. Oh yeah. yes. Well, but, but the cleaner was there anyway. Okay. <laughs> no, seriously, it was the it was yeah. the Royal Albert Hall. No, of course not. It was made up. Oh, no, we said it was oh, a roll. Was, oh, this, this is radio, you see, so you can create whatever yeah. you like. Someone once said radio is the theatre of the mind. What we did take photographs, you see, and, and but we used a facade that we found. It looked a bit like the Albert Hall. So we took, we even took a video of it to, uh, to kind of promote the show at the time. And, yes, uh, and, and everyone, yeah, everyone was just drawn in. We've got to right. get this in. Check out our social media, which is on Twitter, Old Gits and Hits, or at Old Gits and Hits, uh, Instagram, at Real Old Gits and Hits, and we've got the Facebook page as well. Plus, we've got the website, which we call Old Git World, because yeah. once you go into Old Git World, you, you can't come out. It's just a meandering load of corridors, and there's a maze of uh, curiosity. So Old Git World, which is oldgitsandhits.co.uk. The video and, and so on that we did for the, the Christmas show, where we presented the Ogres, which is a bit like the Oscars, which yeah. is Old Gits and Hits Awards. Yes. Uh, and that it was Jerry at Podcast Radio that came up with that name, actually, the Ogres. Yeah. Right. Okay. You've got to be careful when you fake stuff like that, because I can remember one April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day used to be a great day to be on commercial radio. It's not anymore, but it used to be because they're either lame. We we took a um, we grabbed a load of different recordings of live artists, and we had everybody from the Rolling Stones to Led Zeppelin. We had people who were dead, and uh, we said we were doing a concert from Bournemouth's ground. Um, we called it. We didn't call it. Did we call it party on the pitch or something like that? There was a, there was a, a concert called party on the pitch. I think ours was like uh, we had a similar name to that anyway. And so we put echo on the mics and we introduced people on stage. We said, "Ladies and gentlemen, David Bowie or whoever it was." And when the when we fade the crowd up and we did the whole thing, we did the whole show that way. And just in case anybody was fooled. We had a Black Thunder promotional vehicle down at Dean Court at Bournemouth's ground. And anyone that did show up, we gave them, you know, some movie tickets or something to say, no, look, it's April Fool. That, that's all it was. And the only people that complained were the police who complained that they weren't notified of this ahead of time. It was a breakfast show. Like we had the rolling. So I mean, it was so over the top, you know, and we had the Queen arrived and... Uh, yeah, so you have to be very yeah. careful. You can get into trouble with the police, well, um, we, who aren't as bright that. as the rest of the population, as it turns out.
The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in the UK, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Into the chart now at number 20, Criminal, the podcast about people who've done wrong, been wronged, or got caught somewhere in the middle. 19, They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast covering the sinister to the surreal. 18, The Bible in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz. Bible-bashing b****s from the Ascension Catholic Faith Formation. 17, Tom's 5-Minute Friday podcast, presented by the NHS whistleblower Tom Bell. Tom, this week we heard about one of the biggest scandals in the history of the NHS, the failure of maternity care at Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital NHS Trust. What do we need to know? Well, this is a repetition of previous scandals, but it's just come to light in a different department. So I read through um, Donna Ockenden's report yesterday for my sins, because um, I'm extremely interested for obvious reasons in, in the whole of this thing. And it is absolutely fascinating. Um, do you know that the thing that really leaps out is you've got to take your hats off to the tenacity of the families, the bereaved mothers and fathers who really drove this review to happen. Because when you look at the care quality regulator in the UK, and I think one of the things that shines through from the report is that the care quality regulator doesn't work. It's not working. You know, it, it was the parents that had to push for this and any improvements that do emerge as a result of this inquiry, we can credit the parents with those rather than the inquiry. Because you can bet your bottom dollar that the government only responded to this when it reached a point when it had to, yeah? Um, there is a terrible history within our public services, especially the NHS, of trying to hush things up, which I think this report makes absolutely clear. Last year, MPs themselves published a report to Parliament suggesting that over a 1,000 babies a year were dying unnecessary deaths in maternity wards in the UK. Now... You know, that's a thousand lives a year. And we've seen from this report that there were, we think, hundreds of deaths over the past 20 years just in this one maternity ward. And we are the fourth wealthiest economy in the world, I think. And, you know, we hold the NHS up as being a, the beacon of what publicly funded healthcare looks like. And this is an absolute, it's not just a tragedy, but it's an absolute disgrace. Um, I don't know if people know who the Care Quality Commission is, but the Care Quality Commission has been around since 2009, and, and their role, they say, is to regulate and monitor the quality of healthcare services. But the problem with them is, and I, I use this joke, so forgive me for those that have heard it, but they're a bit like the, the person who comes home at night after they've had a few too many drinks, right? And they start to look, they lose their keys, and they start to look for the keys under the streetlight outside the house, right? And after a few minutes, some well-meaning individual walking past says you look like you're struggling can i help you and the person goes yeah that would be great right so they're fumbling around under the street light for the next 10 minutes and eventually this person turns around to our to our drunk our inebriated friend and says are you sure you lost your keys here under the street light to which the reply is well no but it didn't seem to make any sense to look for them in the dark and the problem with the care quality commission is they've become like the organization that looks for what they expect to find in all the places they normally expect to find it and actually, that doesn't work. We've seen how that doesn't work. It didn't work with Gosport. It didn't work with Midstaffs. And it clearly hasn't worked 
with Shrewsbury and Telford hospitals. So regulation is part of the problem. And I'll tell you what's fascinating is that you go on social media, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter, everybody's calling for more funding and more regulation. You know, it doesn't work, Graham. That's absolutely not what is needed. In fact, the regulation has become part of the problem. And the more pressure you put on, the worse you make things, the more incentive you give to people to game the system and to hide things that are wrong. We don't need more regulation in funding in our healthcare services. Now, there will be some that argue with that, and I get that. But, you know, just ask them, has it has it worked up to press? All those initiatives that you brought in over the years to get more regulation for this or more regulation for that, what is the result of it? And yesterday we saw the results of it, didn't we? It simply and doesn't work. What is the answer then? I mean, you've talked, you and I have talked about cultural problems and the, the word culture has come up over the last couple of days over this as well. Is, is that it? And how do you fix that? It's, it's a great point because being the shadow that I am, I actually word searched the entire document, Graham, yeah? And there are countless, many dozen, I think almost 100 references to culture in the document. But culture's that nebulous thing, isn't it, which we can all blame for stuff. We go, oh, it was the culture, it was the culture, you know. What's missing from the document, though, there isn't a single reference to willful blindness, which was clearly the underlying factor here that drove the issues, yeah? There isn't a single reference to personal agency. There isn't a single reference to the word amoral, yeah? There isn't a single reference to the word dishonest, yeah? Or use of the word lied. And these, these, are, these are real things, you know, because we're people. We're all people, aren't we? Yeah. These are things that are going to have happened. But what you find with an inquiry is, and I spoke to a, a, a good Aussie friend of mine who's done a lot of high-level inquiries across there, and he says, you know, each inquiry is its own cover-up. Now, what he means by that is not that they're deliberately covering up, yeah, but that the language becomes so polite, yeah, the emotion gets lost, and the realities of human life, they don't, they don't factor into these reports. So what you get is these nice, polite, you know, ways of explaining things. It was the system's fault. You know, it was the focus on that. It, it was a focus on that. It was the culture. It was this. It was, well, what is culture? Culture's you and I, isn't it? You know, when we talk about systems and societies, I think those narratives are a bit disempowering because what we're saying is something's happening that we have no control over. And the reality is that we are society, aren't we? You know, we can criticise it. But, but the, you know, Gandhi said, wasn't it? You know, you need to be the change that you want to be. It's, you know, whether it's Mandela, whether it's, Gandhi, you know, you've got to be that change, yeah? And it's all right saying the system made me do it or this made me do it or that made me do it, but there is uh, no single references in the document to, to the word courage, which I find slightly disheartening because it was courage that was needed. And you won't get courage with more money. You won't get courage with more regulation. And all efforts at culture change, unless you change what's underlying, which is this crazy focus on targets and reputation, unless you scrap those things, yeah, then you won't get effective changes. Yeah, and you mentioned reputation a few times. You you mentioned the phrase last time we spoke, I think, and it was reputation management. And that is now the focus, is it? Which basically means cover it up. That's that's yeah. the goal. The, yeah, it, it, I think there's a, something gets lost in translation. So somebody says, you know, at the very top of the NHS, right, it's all about maintaining the reputation, yeah? And that is, I remember the, um, the last chief executive before the, the previous lady, a guy called Simon Stevens, you know, his brief was to protect the reputation of the NHS. Now, that's an admirable brief if what you do is you protect the reputation of the NHS by delivering brilliant services. But it's Which a, is what it's is implied. That's what's in when someone hears that, that's what is implied, isn't it? It's not yeah. 
let's have let's cover let's cover up the shit. The, the, that's yeah. when when they when they talk about that, you you automatically think, well, yeah, the reputation of the NHS, which is built on excellence, so you think there'll be more excellence, but that's not how it is interpreted by the people who are affected by it, right? Absolutely, because the, the problem is they are sat there with all these pressures on them. So, you know, once you get to the level of directors in an NHS trust, you know, and, and that mantra of, you know, protect the reputation comes down, as far as they're concerned, what that translates into is how do we manage the reputation rather than develop the reputation? And those are two very different things. So if you're in the private sector and you're managing a brand, everything would be about the brand experience, wouldn't it, you know? So the BMW brand and the Mercedes brand, those things are built on their performance, aren't they? If they were, if they kept on breaking down and they were crap, right? Eventually, we just look at start looking at the advertising and go, "What, what are you on about? This is, you know, this is nonsense. You, you're bullshitting us." But what happens in the NHS is because we've got nothing to compare it with, and in public services in general, there's nothing to compare it with. You know, we've got these. I mean, when you think about this, Graham, it's, I, I liken it to sort of, well, here's my solution for that, right? We get rid of PR departments because PR has no role in public services, but every no. NHS trust. Every chief executive leans on the PR and the comms department. Let's scrap that. We don't have to get rid of the jobs, though. What we can do is we can all give them a heart transplant, because clearly people that work in PR don't have a heart. I, I, I joke. But what we do is we get those people to, to work in something called an information department. Yeah? And what that information department does is it focuses on making data visible to you, to I, to all the stakeholders, policymakers, advisors, regulators, you name it. And it gets rid of this notion that what you do is you go out there and you dance and you sing like a bunch of, I mean, it's like witless dancing cheerleaders, aren't they? You know, they're dancing around going, nothing to see here. There's nothing to see here. And it's like Panto. We're all screaming back at them. Jesus, the stadium's on fire behind you. And they're going, look the other way, look the other way. There's, it's just, it's, it's misdirection. That's what it is. And they think they're doing that with the public's interest at heart. But actually, if what that achieves is that people are dying unnecessary deaths, babies, adults, the vulnerable, on the wards of NHS hospitals, then PR is clearly having a detrimental effect. Because I think sometimes the problem is the board believes the PR. Shall I tell you something absolutely fascinating about the Shrewsbury and Telford Hospitals Trust? I'm going to let you guess how many pages... How many pages do you think they have on their agenda meeting for that board? Bear in mind, it's just a three-hour meeting. So the monthly board meeting, how many pages average in during 2015, how many pages on average do you think they had to look through and pay attention to for that board meeting? Well, let me, let me, let me give you an example, right? The number of pages for Carlsberg, the global annual general meeting for Carlsberg stakeholders and shareholders, yeah? Yeah. Last year was seven pages long, right? Right, yeah. In other words, yeah. here's some stuff that you can get your head around. Here's the stuff that matters that we're going to focus on during this meeting, right? Yeah. Seven pages, global organisation. Three-hour meeting, yeah. Yeah, sounds how about right. The, yeah. How, many for, how many for Shrewsbury and Telford then, three-hour meeting? I, I would say something similar, somewhere between five and ten, yeah. About 220. For a three-hour meeting? Yeah. Yeah. Right, so, so there's, there's no way so they're getting through got, it. Absolutely. So the, and, and therein lies the problem. Nobody actually had a clue what was going on because you're not covering the important stuff or the stuff that matters. What you've got is you've got all those senior, well-paid people in the room. And what you're saying to them is either we expect you to have read those 220 pages beforehand. Ha ha, that isn't going to happen, is it? Right? Yeah, yeah. Or we expect you to work through those in a three-hour meeting. So let me give you a flavor for this, right? So you've got something called 
It's called the, which of course no board would be complete without, the integrated performance report, right? That's just one of eight agenda items, yeah? And it's 78 pages long, right? You've then got the business plan review guidance, which is 68 pages long. So you've just got two things there, yeah? And you think to yourself, how in goodness name did that happen? Nothing about the problems, you know? So there's a kind of a, let's focus on everything, but by focusing on everything, you focus on nothing, yeah? And by the way, they're not exceptional. There are other NHS trusts out there whose board meeting minutes and agenda items are over 300 pages long, yeah? And you cannot expect people to work through that agenda. So on the one hand, what you've got is a lot of people going, isn't it terrible that the chief executive didn't know what was going on or that the directors were useless, da-da-da-da-da. But actually what you did was you put them in a situation where they could only ever be useless. If you put me in a situation where I've got to work through 300 pages in three hours, yeah, plus I'm working in a group of people in that room at the same time, yeah, because everybody wants their say, don't they? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a recipe for disaster. Everybody's just going to go, yes, I read that item, yes, I read that item, tick the box, yeah, move on, yeah? Yeah. And, and, and the person who actually goes, hang on, can we discuss that? Everybody's probably frowning at them going, do you know what? We need to be out of here by 5.30. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah. we've got, we've, we've reduced, we've reduced all these really intelligent people. We've reduced them to just, we've taken the intelligence out of the room. We've sucked the intelligence and the ability to think out the room. So we hire all these people for passion and for talent. Yeah. And then we dumb them down. I mean, that's madness, isn't it? Totally. Now, something that's also come up over the last few days with this is accountability. And in all of these scandals and, you know, others, including ones with the police, Hillsborough probably the, the most famous. And once again, it was the families that managed to, to get some sort of sense out of it, but still no accountability. How do we make the people that have this this awesome responsibility at the top of these public services like the NHS and the police, how do we build in some accountability? Well, I think if you asked anybody who's in charge of the NHS, Graham, they, they might sort of think, okay, is it the health secretary? Is it the chief executive of the NHS? Is it the chief executive of each NHS trust? Is it the head of the clinical commissioning groups? Do you, do you get the picture I'm painting here, yeah? Yeah. It, who's in charge? Because that's, that's the thing, isn't it? And what we've, we don't have leaders in our public services. What we have got is really well-paid administrators who kind of right. follow orders, yeah? Yeah. And that's not, that's not what we need. If, I talked about that word courage before, and I, for me, courage goes hand in hand with accountability and with responsibility, yeah? If someone's going to pay you 200 grand out of the public purse, then you, 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 know, you need courage, yeah? You should have courage. That should be a prerequisite. And you should be able to speak your mind and, and speak your truths. And... I think you're right about accountability. There is a huge issue here, but where do you find it's, it's like knitting fog. Where do you get hold of that? Now, I also believe in forgiveness because I think people make mistakes. That's human nature, yeah? So I think accountability and forgiveness need to go hand in hand. But, but what is absolutely laughable is the health secretary, Sanjit Javid, talking about the staff will be held to account, yeah? Well, right. <laughs> the, staff were put under, the staff were put under pressure by things beyond their control. So, yes. There is room for personal agency, but you can't just take the staff in isolation and say, let's prosecute, let's persecute them, yeah? Yeah. Because that, that's like, that, they're, they're the scapegoat, really. I mean, because yeah. if you need to look at the real causes of the problem, which is, that's ultimately what you should be doing, the causes of the problem 
are the targets that drive the culture. In other words, the targets make the organizations focus on the regulator rather than the service user, yeah? Yeah. And that's why they weren't the getting, user, that, that's matter. why people who, who needed caesareans weren't getting them was just one of the small thing, wasn't it? Because they had a target to reduce them. Yeah. They had a target. They had a target to reduce them, which is uh, in an absolute. I mean, targets are a nonsense. We should just trash targets from public services altogether. You know, let's get rid of that entire industry because we've got an industry around regulation. We've got an industry around targets, and what we have is this complete focus on hitting the target. I mean, hitting the target and you know <laughs> missing the point has kind of become the accepted descriptor for our public services, hasn't it? You know, that's kind yeah. of how we see them. Yeah, you know, they, they, they they sort of they look at their dashboards, and if it's red, amber. Green, you know, they, they'd want to move everything to green, and that's fine. But they, these organisations are dealing with people, and I think the people at the top of those organisations forget that. Um, yeah. But do you know what? In terms of this particular tragedy, Graham, it was entirely predictable, and I think that is something else that is missing from this report, because things happen for a reason, don't they? There are causes that underlie this stuff, and... You can see this stuff coming from, from years back. And people say, well, that's hindsight, Tom. No, it's not. It's actually just, it's logical. It's predictable. Once you put people in those systems and in those cultures and you drive them with targets and you become obsessed with your reputation, you are creating a climate of fear in which bullying will thrive and where people will be forced to chase the target and miss the point to hold on to their jobs. And in an economy which is, you know, post-austerity, it was struggling, and now post-pandemic, I guess it's struggling even more. People aren't going to risk their jobs, are they, for speaking up? People, people need to feel some sense of financial security, and that, and well, a they'll, lot of the they'll time, end that's up. What it comes down to, it comes down. To, they'll end up like you. I mean, because you spoke up and faced the consequences of it, didn't you? Absolutely, yeah. You know, I approached the CQC thinking that would be a helpful thing to do. Um, as it turned out, it was a it was a career terminal move. Um, I don't regret what I did. I think I was probably five years, just over five years in the NHS was as much as anybody sane can manage, I think, um, certainly on the management front. Um, but yeah, you're right, you know, and it's it's a tough place to be, you know, when someone takes your career and your pension um, away from you, that's, that's a tough place to be. And your mental health suffered from it too. It wasn't just a, a career thing with you. Oh, it God, was, massively. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's it, the the, the stakes are very high for speaking up. Will this ever change, Tom? Will it change? It's, it's, gosh, what a great question! I think for me, and I'm one of life's eternal optimists. Yeah, it has to change, Graham. The reason it has to change is that the current liability is outstanding on the NHS resolutions balance sheet. Yeah, for outstanding claims and forecast claims of clinical negligence and harm, is over 80 billion pounds yeah wow 80 billion pounds last year two and a half billion was paid out in compensation and that doesn't include the local settlements that were made by nhs trusts individually all taxpayers so, money all taxpayers money so is it sustainable that's the question and the answer is no so when we talk about willful blindness and its impact on public services it's not just that it causes huge amounts of harm and fatalities as we've seen but it actually costs a whole lot of money, yeah? Because that whole regulation industry that sits behind it, you know, we are spending billions every year in public services on regulation, dealing with FOI requests, da-da-da-da-da, you name it, you know. And what we've just got to do is let these organisations be human. And yes, when they drop the ball, they're going to drop the ball. It's going to happen, yeah? But we've got to like, we've got to hold people to account for the things that they shouldn't do, but we've also got to forgive people for well-intentioned mistakes, yeah? 
Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, which of us hasn't dropped the ball from time to time? Um, but it is not, in answer to your question, will it ever change? Change is incredibly slow, but the fundamental changes that are needed, you know, you, you, so you've got to you've got to get rid of PR departments. You've got to scrap the targets. That's the biggest one for me. You've got to say, trash them, get them out, gone. Yeah, we, we yeah. don't need them. Now, people will then go, oh, my God, but how will we know how public services are doing if we don't have targets? The straight answer is you don't know now, and yesterday's report proved that. You only yeah. think you know. Actually, the, the targets become a mask for what's really going on behind the scenes. The targets are actually a barrier to improvement. They're not an aid to improvement any longer. Um, they simply they simply don't work, Graham. So I know I would also say as well, if you know, if I had a, a plan for improvement, if you like, I think managers and leaders at all levels in the NHS and in public services need mandatory training. You know, mm. uh, the people because the the people who led mid staffs to disaster, the people who oversaw the tragedies that we've just witnessed at Shrewsbury and Telford hospitals, many of those people, you know, were products of the NHS's own graduate management trainee scheme, yeah? Yeah. But they weren't leaders. These were just really highly paid administrators. And there's a huge difference, yeah? Scary. And um, so there isn't a short, there isn't a short term magic bullet to this. It's, it's, it's about whether basically we as a society have got the courage to get in there and almost start again with it from the ground up with the way that the the NHS in particular is organized yeah i think so and and let's you know let's throw this in the air cuz uh, people think we have an nhs right and we we talk about the nhs but the nhs is actually just um it's probably the world's least consistently managed franchise yeah yeah if you look at, you know, so we've got 240 or different trusts, different ambulance trusts, yeah, different NHS bodies, NHS England, NHS Improvement, da 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 da. And we've got 9,000 separate GP practices, yeah? Yeah. Um, there's, there's something disjointed about the whole thing. And we've got to almost come back to purpose and say, what's the purpose of the NHS? What are, now, that might sound a daft question because people go, well, of course, it's about keeping people healthy, isn't it? Well, I've never met two people. I've never got two people in a room yet, Graham, who've been able to agree what the purpose of the NHS is, clearly. Right. And, and what I mean by that is, do we say, so here's a real example for you. Yeah. So do we say, actually, imagine two people coming to A&E one night, yeah? Yeah. One's the victim of a hit and run, yeah? Uh-huh. And they both, that person needs treatment. The other person is the person that was driving the car, who was high on drugs and over the drink drive limit, yeah? And then crashed the car after They'd hit the person, yeah. Yeah. Is it that what, what? What are we looking for from the NHS? There are we? Are we saying we pick up the pieces from both? I'm not saying we don't, by the way, but I'm saying these are fundamental questions we need to ask. Are we going to pick up the pieces from people's self-inflicted obesity? Are we going to pick up the pieces, you know, in terms of that diabetes uh, wave, that tidal wave of diabetes that's coming at us? What what do we do? Do we pick up people's mental health because we've allowed gambling to run riot in this country? Yeah, online gambling is now the source. You know, it's the source of many suicides. I think we all know that, and it's the source of a great many mental health problems. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sometimes it feels as if the NHS. Believe it, this will make you chuckle, Graham. But the NHS, when it was set up, people thought that once it had got people healthy, the need for it would actually reduce. Yeah, be <laughs> smaller. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you know, it would set off with a bang, and then gradually we'd all be well. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? And that clearly hasn't happened. So we need to have a conversation about purpose. And that sounds like a lengthy conversation, but, you know, they say that the only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So that's got to start somewhere, yeah? Yeah. 
There are no quick fixes. In fact, the best quick fix we can have is to stop using the phrase quick fixes because everybody's looking for the quick win, the quick hit. How do we show improvement? How do we demonstrate this? No, we need to step back and have a think about this and say, right, okay, we are where we are because of all the decisions that we made previously, yeah? Yeah. So let's have a look at what those were. Let's have a look at what drove those decisions. What brought us to this point where we are delivering unsafe services, yeah? Yeah. And that's the conversation. And those are courageous conversations. Now, interesting, interestingly, within all the 200-odd pages of those board meeting minutes, yeah, and that agenda, I don't imagine any, there was any room at all for having a courageous conversation about the things that might be a bit contentious, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah. And that's the space. So that's what I mean by we need leaders. We need leaders, not administrators. We need people to go, right, okay, folks, scrap the agenda. We're going to talk about the things that matter right now, yeah? And how we yeah. can inform, how we can change those things. Well, I hope it does change, Tom. And uh, thanks for talking to me. And thanks for your continuing good work in this area. I don't know how you keep going when nothing seems to change. You just keep coming up against the same things again and again and again. It's the same old story. Uh, where can we find out more about you? Well, you can find me at my website, which is carmetis.com. That's www.cormetis.com. Um, you can hook up with me on Twitter, Tom Encumbria. You can find me on LinkedIn. To be, it's a great point you make. You know, progress is slow, incredibly slow, yeah. But the, the more of these things that occur and the more of these tragedies that come to light, people will have to take notice. We, you know, we've got to stop this at some point. It's unsustainable. Tom's 5-Minute Friday podcast is at number 17 this week on the Pod 20. 16. On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. 15. Behind the Bastards. The Worst Humans in History. 14. The Jordan Harbinger Show. In-depth conversations with people at the top of their game. 13. Another Jordan. The Jordan B. Peterson podcast. Enlightening discourse that will change the way you think. The latest episode of this is called Antifa, The Rise of the Violent Left. 12. Sips, Suds and Smokes. Everything good in life is worth discussing. Wine, tea, coffee, whiskey, beer, cigars, barbecue, people whose first names start with a Q, ex-Amish, the state of Alabama, roadkill and Canadians. 11. Old Gits and Hits. The show hosted by three old gits called John, David and Chris. Into the top ten now and at ten, Hidden Brain. Shankavadantam uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behaviour. Nine. Taking on Putin. From the journalist, John Sweeney. Eight. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. After 25 years at the late night desk, Conan has never made a real and lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests. So he started a podcast to fix that. 7. Best Friend Therapy Elizabeth Day and Emma Reed Terrell chat about what's on our minds. 6. Smartless Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett connect people from all walks of life. Their latest guest is the comedian David Spade. 5. My Favourite Murder with Karen Gilgariff and Georgia Hardstark Karen and Georgia tell each other their favourite tales of murder and hear crime stories from friends and fans. 4. 
Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. The latest episode is called The Bitter Truth About Sugar. 3. Stuff You Should Know If you've ever wanted to know about champagne, Satanism, the Stonewall Uprising, Chaos Theory, LSD, El Nino, True Crime and Rosa Parks, then look no further. Josh and Chuck have you covered. The latest episode is called What's NATO All About? 2. Crime Junkie If you can never get enough true crime, congratulations, you found your people. And at number 1... Rest is Politics, hosted by the former Downing Street spin doctor Alistair Campbell and ventriloquist's dummy Rory Stewart. And that's it for episode 101. Thanks to this week's guests, John, David and Chris from All Gits and Hits and Tom Bell from Tom's 5-Minute Friday podcast. Next week, my guest is Dan Benedictus from Desert Island Dicks. In the meantime, you can watch extended video chats with my guests on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will your favourite make it to number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, on Fridays at 5pm and across the weekend on podcast radio. And don't forget, you can influence the Pod 20. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.